confession is more powerful than an exorcism? We sit down with a priest who's performed several exorcisms. This is Dive Deep. From the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, this is Dive Deep. We dive deep into our Catholic faith. I am Andrew Hansen coming to you from Corpus Christi Priory here in Springfield, Illinois. And we're joined by Father Ambrose Christ, a Norbertine father here at Corpus Christi Priory. Also St. Michael's Abbey based in Orange, talking about confession, more powerful than an exorcism. Yes. Father Ambrose, thanks for coming on Dive Deep. How are you? Very well, thanks. Welcome to the Priory, Andrew. Thanks for having me on your show. You're welcome. We're also pumped. You guys, the Norbertines, are here in Springfield. They've always, already done so much great work here in our diocese. And I know the Evermode Institute, which is yes. your main apostle, is only going to yes. continue to grow. So again, check them out. The Norbertines here at Corpus Christi Priory and the Evermode Institute. So before we get into that question of why is confession more powerful than exorcism? Because I think, first of all, that alone jars some people because I mm -hmm. think exorcism, this is, this is the most extreme thing that the church does mm -hmm. that's got to be the most powerful. I want to park that question to the side first and first talk about you and your experience with exorcisms. Um, this is something you have done in the past. I want to start first with how are you even chosen? Why do you think you were chosen when you look back on your ministry of deliverance? Okay, no, it's a good question. And I think, of course, the Catholic faithful, when they hear that word exorcism or exorcist, it sort of piques everybody's interest, which is, that's a, not a bad thing because this, this is the world of, of the spiritual war between good and evil and the, the, all the saints and angels in heaven who are fighting for us and the demons who are trying to drag us down to hell. So it's a, an attractive subject, even if a little bit scary or off-putting in some ways. So that's just a little bit of a preface. Sure. And um, early on in my priesthood, about 15 years ago, uh, a case of deliverance, a need for deliverance in a, in a particular young man's life and his family sort of fell into my lap. And um, providentially, that's, that, that, those circumstances made me the right man for the job to help this young man and his family. And so then with uh, the permission of the abbot of our abbey and the bishop of that diocese, then I dove into that deliverance ministry world and became uh, trained to be an exorcist for that, that young man and then for a number of other cases after that. So it's not unusual work for religious priests who live in monasteries or abbeys. Um, so uh, it's not unusual for confairs of my order around the world to be asked by the local bishop to do this work of deliverance ministry and exorcism. So. You know, our society right now paints the picture of the devil doesn't exist, mm -hmm. or if he does exist, it's kind of like this caricature person, you don't need to worry about him. You, of course, have you know, seen Satan in his worst attack these individuals. What, what concrete evidence have you seen in your deliverance mm -hmm. ministry? Can you give us some examples of stuff sure. where you're like, yeah, this is Satan at work here? Well, in the most extreme case of someone who's actually possessed, then you see demons manifesting themselves in you know, through the voice and through the body of the person who's possessed. That's extraordinarily unusual, and I just want to put people's mind at ease about that. You can't go catch a demon or, like, you can catch a cold or something like that. That's not how it works. And most people who are wrestling with, with demonic influence in their life are not possessed. It's very, very rare. But when someone is, in fact, in one of those extreme cases, then you witness all of the most kind of horrifying realities of the presence of evil in their lives, including demonic voices and, and bodily um, morphs and all kinds of crazy things. And so um, it, not unlike what you see in the movies, um, so it's, it can be pretty wild. 
But as I said, that's very, very unusual. But you still have seen that and experienced that. Yes, some of those extreme manifestations of the diabolical in people's lives. Is that scary for you? I mean, for a layperson, yes. you know, I, of course we all know and believe in our heart, <clears throat> God is more powerful than, than Satan, and we mm -hmm. know that. But there's still that human reality of, you know, is, is, do you, when you went into those situations, were you, I'll use the word generic, were you scared? Yes, it's scary, for sure. And it, there's also a kind of experience of God's grace that comes through the priesthood and through the help of other Christians praying together. You know, priests don't do this work alone. We do that with other priests and also with, with devoted lay people who form a deliverance ministry team. So it's not like we're fighting by ourselves. And, but yes, it can be, it's, it's gripping for sure. And, and it can be quite alarming, especially when the, the first time I saw some of those things, pretty terrifying. Yes, and then, and then you realize that um, much of the, um, much of the uh, attempts that the demons are trying to, that what they're trying to do is scare us and what they're trying to do is disarm us and also make us discouraged. And, and so that's part of, their, part of their tactics are those of fear. Were you able to, in your examples, were you able to get full deliverance for these folks? Thanks be to God, yes. There, in, in one case of the several that I've worked on, it didn't seem to be quite so obvious and that that person continued to struggle even after we, we stopped our deliverance ministry for a number of circumstances. Um, this person lived in another part of the country and it was complicated by a lot of factors. But yes, Christ is always victorious. Christ is always victorious. That's, he promised us always that. Always gotta remember that. Mm -hmm. Now, for people watching this, they might be saying, okay, you mentioned it's rare, but how mm -hmm. do you know a psychological mm -hmm. versus it actually is possession. Mm -hmm. Well, usually those two things very much go hand in hand, that there's very often some kind of psychological or psychiatric component along with physical ailments of all kinds. And the spiritual part of that, the diabolical influence is very much enmeshed with those other factors. So much of the early work in assessing what the person actually needs is trying to sift out what is physical or medical, what is psychiatric or psychological, and what is actually spiritual. And so much of the beginning of that ministry is just sorting those things out with the help of professionals, medical and psychiatric professionals. What do you think about today's culture? Are, are, you, are you seeing more attacks by Satan? Are we seeing more possession, uh, are, you know, people being possessed by, by devils or the, the demon? Or, and also I look at pop culture and mm. again, they're almost celebrating mm -hmm. Satan these mm -hmm. days. And it seems, it just seems to me that um, our culture is just, it, we're going down this path of opening themselves up mm. to Satan, mm -hmm. Ouija boards, the occult, all that sort of stuff. Are we seeing this more prevalent? The, the, wide, the wider church in North America is experiencing a much, a great increase in the request for help with deliverance ministry. So most parts of the country report that there is an uptick and a rather precipitous uptick in people approaching the diocese and asking, or monasteries and abbeys asking for help with their loved ones. So yes, the, the answer to your question is yes, there's an increase in the request for deliverance ministry, which indicates to us there's an increase in the need for deliverance ministry. And there again, then that that's a discernment process. Not everybody who asks says, you know, approaches the church and says, I need help because I'm struggling with demons in my life. Not everybody who comes and says that is actually struggling with demons in their life. But uh, yes, there is an increase in the need for deliverance ministry in the church for sure, for all of the cultural reasons you mentioned. And, and it's just, you know, 
we're, we're in a post-Christian world and a more and more secularized and secularizing world, which means that the devil and the demons have a much freer play amongst the people who live in these post-Christian places. So we need the gospel is what we need. <laughs> and the Eucharist, the and sacraments, the, Eucharist, the, sacraments of the church, yes. Um, and we're gonna get to the sacraments again in just a little bit. Is there, you mentioned devil demons. Is there a difference when someone is possessed? Are they possessed by demons? Are they possessed by the devil? Or is it kind of so, still one so, and the same? So um, demons is the generic term that we use in English for the fallen angels. And we can, you know, some of them have names that are scriptural names and, and, and um, it's a kind of, uh, we understand that to be a sort of a hierarchy. The angels exist in a hierarchy. Demons are fallen angels. They have their own kind of hierarchy, or as C.S. Lewis would call it, a lowerarchy, you know, kind of an inversion of the angelic order. So uh, they, they, uh, they collaborate with each other, the demons do, and um, when we say the devil, that's usually someone is referring to kind of the chief demon, you know, the, 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 the top of that hierarchy or the bottom of the lowerarchy, however you want to call it that, you know, and we have names for, you know, Lucifer or whatever else, but the, we'll use those words interchangeably, demon and devil. Mm -hmm. what, what, I mean, obviously, ultimately, you're trying to free this person from the demonic. Mm -hmm. Talk us through what, what does an exorcism look like? You know, is it, is it five minutes? Can it last an hour? Is it holy water? Is it prayers? Is it the Eucharist? You know, what, what goes into when you guys enter that room? What's like your plan of attack? Okay, so the, um, the, the rite of exorcism, which is a rite, it's a ritual that the church has developed and gives to priests to use, priests who have the permission of their bishop. That's they, they've been delegated by the bishop to be the exorcist of that place. And it's a ritual that the church has crafted for priests to use. Now, um, it involves all those things you mentioned. It, it involves prayers and holy water, and uh, it's ritual prayers. Um, there, there's a bit of an art to it, and at a certain point, uh, the, when it's an actual exorcism and the person is actually possessed, then the exorcist is trying to get the name of the demon or demons that are possessing the person so that he can exercise Christ's authority over those creatures by calling them by their names. So there is some kind of spontaneous communication that happens and much of it is ritualistic prayer. Um, and that might be a good place to, I don't know at what point you want to dive into the actual sacraments, but all of that, which I just, just described, is what we call a sacramental, like the, the brown scapulary that you wear or like the holy water that you bless yourself with, all of the things that the church blesses for us to use the scapula, my habit is a, is a, is a sacramental. Um, blessed salt is a sacramental. All of those things fall below the order of sacraments, which are more powerful, higher, better, <laughs> because they, can, they actually communicate grace directly and they put us directly in contact with Jesus Christ. Sacramentals, like the rite of exorcism, are inferior to that in their power and efficacy. So there's the answer right there, why confession is more powerful than an exorcism. Yes. So when, when someone enters the confessional, okay, if, if someone is, is possessed though, is, is it hard for them to, okay, then if they went to confession, is that, you know? Not necessarily. So very often if someone is actually possessed, as I said, that very, very tiny percentage, tiny fraction of people who are wrestling with demons in some way, that tiny percentage who are actually possessed, very often those people have a really hard time receiving the sacraments. That their, their spiritual condition of possession makes it very difficult, if not impossible, for them to be in a confessional or to receive the Holy Eucharist. So 
very often the, the, the work of exorcism is first to get them liberated enough from this struggle so that they can then make a good confession and hopefully receive the Holy, the Holy Eucharist. Once we can do that, then the exorcism work goes much more swiftly because they have sanctifying grace for their strength, not just the sacramental prayers of the church. Tell us what, what happens in a confessional. You know, we're so lay people, obviously, I, I know, we all know, okay, you confess your sins, you, you, you receive forgiveness. Mm -hmm. What's going on spiritually? Mm -hmm. Can you talk about like what, when, when you're a priest and you're hearing mm -hmm. the sins and you offer absolution, what ultimately is going on between us and our relationship with God? Well, you know, every sacrament, Andrew, every sacrament is direct contact with the humanity of Christ, direct contact with Jesus Christ. So when someone comes, walks into a confessional, let's say someone is in the state of grave sin, that maybe they're coming to confession because they've committed a grave sin and they've lost the state of sanctifying grace. That is, they are in the state of sin, which means that they don't have supernatural life within them. They don't have um, the ability to receive the Holy Eucharist. They, so they are what we say spiritually dead. We call the sacrament of reconciliation a sacrament of the dead because it takes someone who is spiritually dead and it brings them back to life. Spiritually speaking, that's what happens. The, the person comes into the confessional spiritually dead and they confess their sins, they make a good confession, they receive absolution, which is Jesus Christ through the priest, through the ministry of the priest, absolving them of their sin. And they are then, they walk out of that confessional spiritually alive which means that if they die, they can go to heaven. I mean, that's really important for people to remember. If we are spiritually dead, we cannot go to heaven. <laughs> this is why we need the sacraments of the church, you know? Baptism takes us from this, the state of being damned without grace. Baptism gives us sanctifying grace because we're saved by Jesus Christ, washed in the blood of Christ, given new life which means we can go to heaven when we die. If we lose that life because we commit some grave sin, we need to be restored to life again. That's why we have the sacrament of reconciliation. And it's interesting, earlier you mentioned when we talk about exorcisms, you know, if you get someone kind of liberated to the confession, the Eucharist, I want to pair now confession with the Eucharist. Okay. So the power, I mean, there's nothing more powerful. Fair to say? Then? The confession and the Eucharist. Oh, absolutely, what, right. Um, so, the importance of not only going to confession, but okay, again, sometimes, you know, I'll admit, sometimes you, you go through the motions of receiving the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. um, tell us why we ultimately shouldn't be going mm -hmm. through the motions. I, we know it's the body and blood of Christ, but sometimes it's just like, it's hard to almost even fathom that. Mm -hmm. um, the spiritual, you know, I always I remember this video EW10 EW put out that had literally the angels flying around mm -hmm. the altar and Jesus appearing above the altar with his blood from the cross dripping mm -hmm. into the chalice and that imagery of, you know, heaven on earth is actually there. Um, paint that scene for us too. You know, when we, we receive the Eucharist, what's really going on? There? Yes. Well, uh, okay, well, you, you had, that was a good start there, you know, about, about the, the, the beauty of the, the mystical reality that is hidden behind the appearances of bread and, and wine hidden behind that, those appearances, the, the, the accidents of bread and wine, is the reality of Christ's body and blood. The Mass is the unbloody representation of Calvary. So even though it looks like a ritual on an altar performed by a priest, what's really happening there is 
Calvary, Christ dying on the cross to save us from our sins. That's what Holy Mass is. It's the sacrifice of the Mass, is what we say. It's the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Every sacrament points to and leads to the Holy Eucharist. So why are we baptized? So that we can be saved and so that we can receive the Holy Eucharist. Why do we have confession? So that we can be restored to uh, the life of grace when we've lost it, so that we can receive Holy Communion. Why are we confirmed so that we can, we can receive the Holy Eucharist as um, members of Christ's body who are strengthened, especially um, for the battle, and be able to receive, receive the Holy Eucharist as those fortified soldiers of Christ? So everything points to the Eucharist, and why? Because the Holy Eucharist is unlike the other sacraments, which, as I said, they, they bring us into direct contact with the humanity of Christ. The Holy Eucharist is the body of Christ. It not only um, conveys the grace which is the life of Christ, it is Jesus Christ. So it's, it's more than a symbol or a vehicle into the heart of Christ. It is Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thing. It's why it's the most sublime of all of the mysteries of our faith. What sacrament do you love? the most as a priest. Oh gosh, that's, a very, that's a hard question. <laughs> I bring that up because in our, our conversation about the Eucharist and confession, it was always intriguing to me that a lot of priests always tell me it's confession. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what? You, but yeah, you think like you're just hearing all the horribleness, but they're like, no, it's it's victory. Yes. You know, I'm thinking, I thought it maybe it would be the Eucharist or maybe marriage, you know, marriage is a, granted, it's the it's the one sacrament that actually the priest isn't actually doing <laughs> they're overseeing and being a witness. What's yes. it for you? What's it like hearing it? May I ask you that? What's it like hearing a confession? Well, okay, for you? so those are two questions. I'd say, I'd say I, I agree um, that I mean, you know, there's when when I am um, mindful of what I'm doing, there is very little that can compare with celebrating holy mass if I'm recollected and aware of that, trying to really enter into that mystery, because of course, saying the words of institution and holding the, holy, the, 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 the sacred species in my own hands and so forth, that's a, that's a sublime, unbelievably beautiful gift that I'm not worthy of. Most of the time that becomes quite routine, like anything we do every day becomes very routine, you know? Um, you could imagine a, a married couple, you know, in the way they greet each other at the end of the working day or whatever, you know, the, you know, they kiss each other, hi, honey, how was your day? That interaction, it becomes so routine that it, it probably, it probably is, is quite ordinary, even though that's a sublime act of remembering marital love in a very ordinary, um, quotidian way, right? Confession can be like that too, and of course, most most of the time, I think the priests here, and certainly in my experience, we're hearing the same sins, and it's very routine, and we're we're giving a little bit of advice, and we're saying the words of absolution, and yet the fact that you witness the humility of the penitent, and you see them really desiring holiness and returning to the Lord, it's so beautiful and palpable, because you see that in the other soul, the soul of the penitent. And then once in a while, you know, words come out of the priest's mouth that you don't know where those come from, you know, uh, because the Holy Spirit's at, at work in these sacraments, right? So once in a while we'll say something, I say something, I'm like, well, why did I say that? And then you realize, well, that wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit at work, you know? And so sometimes I think confession is, uh, uh, that happens more regularly, those moments of insight into the higher realities uh, even then the ordinary celebration of Holy Mass. 
So, but I would say both of those things together are really sublime. I personally, I love baptisms. I'm a religious priest, which means I live in a religious community. I don't have pastoral care of souls like a diocesan priest. So I've only celebrated a couple of dozen baptisms in my priesthood. You know, unlike most diocesan priests who, are, who celebrate hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of baptisms. So it's a privilege and a rare privilege for me, and I love it to, to witness the salvation of a soul. And that's not at all routine for me because it's so unusual in my priesthood. Well, maybe now you get some phone calls saying, hey, yeah, hey can we right. get some baptism? A couple more questions before you leave you, Father, Father Ambrose. I want to talk about guardian angels. Uh -huh. I remember talking to you once about, you know, the power of our guardian angels and turning to them for help. Mm -hmm. um, explain their role and their power and what mm -hmm. they can do for us, especially as we're in this context of sin and trying to, trying to fend off evil. Yes. Well, we, we talked a little bit about the... Um, how the, the gripping reality of the forces of evil around us. And you asked me earlier on about, you know, well, have you seen horrible things in people's lives who are possessed, you know, and that's like dramatic, vivid presence of evil. Well, just think, we have around us and with us all the time an angel that belongs just to us, that is assigned just to us to help us get to heaven. So all of that drama, which is so palpable and scary and evident on the, on the evil side, is every bit as vivid and present and real on the good side and actually even more powerful because we know that Christ is victorious. So each of us has one of these creatures far smarter than us, intellectually far superior to us, who are always, our Lord says in St. Matthew's Gospel, always looking upon the face of Christ, of the, of the Father. So they are enjoying eternal beatitude and at the same time helping us to get to heaven and to avoid evil and to keep away the incursions of our enemies and all of that. They're doing all of that for us. And each of us has his or her own. That's amazing. So in, when we think about that warfare around us for our soul, the battle between good and evil, the, the battle is already won and we have one of these creatures assigned only to us to help us win the battle, to help Christ win the battle in us. So I think we should just think about them a lot and ask them for help and if we're struggling with temptation, ask them to drive those temptations away. You know, I mean, they're, they're ready at hand day and night. I guess that, that leads me into my final question. Turn to our guardian angels for help. Leave us with some more tips. What are, what are some things as families, as people trying mm -hmm. to faith, what should we be doing to beef up our spiritual life? Mm -hmm. Also, you know, protect us from the snares of the enemy. What are some things that you, maybe we're lacking as, you, you might think we're, we're doing a good job, but mm -hmm. um, some tips for us, for us to uh, ultimately fend off evil and live in God's grace. Okay, so obviously practice the, the sacraments, receive the sacraments, frequent the sacraments. So go to mass on Sunday and every, every Sunday and every holy day of obligation. Receive Holy Communion if you're in a state of grace and worthy to do so. Go to confession often. I think this is the, a really neglected sacrament. And you, you know, we began the conversation kind of with the idea that confession is more powerful than an exorcism. And it is because it's a sacrament. So why don't we go often? I think that every Catholic should go to confession at least once a month unless, God forbid, they lose the state of grace by committing grave sin. Then go to confession as soon as you can and don't, go, don't present yourself for Holy Communion until you've been to confession. So, so frequenting the sacraments, going to confession regularly, frequently, receiving the Holy Eucharist when you're worthy to do so, when you're able to do so, and pray together as a family. I think the best bit of advice, apart from the sacraments, which are the most powerful things, say the rosary every day. 
Say the rosary every day. Say the rosary as a family every day. Say the rosary with your spouse. Uh, praying the Holy Rosary is the fast track into holiness. Our Lady will not fail to make us into the saints that she already knows us to be if we ask her for that. So. Awesome. Great advice. Father Ambrose, Chris, thanks for coming on Dive Deep. Appreciate all these words of wisdom, and thank you for all you do for the church. Thank you, Andrew. God bless you. You're welcome. This has been Dive Deep. If you'd like more podcasts, head over to dive.org slash podcast. Until next time, we'll see you right here on Dive Deep.